Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and joining me in the virtual studio is my compadre, my buddy, the man who can change a spare tire with one hand behind his back, <laughs> the indomitable Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing, my friend? I am very well this evening, Deacon. How are you? I'm just fine, just fine. We're, so we're both just getting back from uh, from trips That's uh, right. out of the country. That's right. Uh, it's nice to be uh, to be back in my own home time zone <laughs> and back in my own pillow. But that said, I have just returned from a conference in the Eternal City in Rome, a conference uh, kind of discussing technology and its effects on communications and social uh, interactions and things like that. So we talked a bit about AI, we talked about weapons of war. And then we talked about kind of the effects of technology on social uh, communications and media and things like that. So it was a really fascinating uh, conversation with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. It was gathered and hosted by the uh, Pontifical Council for Communication and the Pontifical Council for Culture. And so uh, it was really great to interact with folks from around the world and uh, have these great conversations. And we got to meet the Holy Father and we got to pray, you know, uh, in at St. Peter's. So it, it's everything you love to get to do every now and then. And it's one of the things that I'm really grateful for working uh, at uh, the University of Notre Dame for, because uh, these are the sorts of conversations that will have effects, you know, going forward as we continue to to debate and discuss these things um, that we'll then talk to our students about who will be building the future and some of these technologies. So it was a really good conversation. Wow. Talk about job perks, man. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. It's not, not, it's not bad. I'll say that you have to endure terrible weather in South Bend, Indiana, but, but it does have its perks. That's for sure. Uh, there you go. Well, I'm just getting back myself. Yeah. From, I was in Australia uh, for right. two weeks on a speaking tour uh, which which went very well. I always love going to Australia. That was my sixth time. Okay. To Australia. Wow. Yeah, and I'm sure it won't be my last. And uh, focusing most this, most of this time on the east coast of the country. Okay. So uh, it was cool. Four dioceses. You know, a different city every day. So that was fun. The priest homilies, and then went to Europe um, on mm-hmm. a pilgrimage to Portugal, Spain, and France. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and I've never been to those countries before, so it was awesome, especially given homilies. Um, and some of these magnificent churches and, and giving some talks and, and just some spectacularly beautiful, holy places and holy sites. That's awesome. You know, and just Lords and Fatima just was, uh, you know, it was, oh, and that guy, I've never been there before. It's overwhelming for me to hear about these places and you see them, but then when right. you're there experiencing it, it's, uh, it's, it's powerful. Oh man. You know envious i'm telling you i i i am going to lose enough weight that i can fit in your suitcase deacon <laughs> a lot of people seem to want to do that i don't know <laughs> i think deacon needs bigger suitcases is uh, the takeaway yeah. from this yeah awesome well welcome back yeah to you too my friend so you know we had some wonderful conversations over the last uh, couple months you know kind of discussing 
uh, artists and um, some of the we we the occasion was of course kind of the the 30th anniversary no 20th anniversary of Saint John Paul II's letter to artists and then we had you know wonderful conversations with um, actual artists people who mm-hmm. who are singers and you know we we just had Daniel Oberreiter with us and before that we had you know yeah Lisa Marie yeah Lisa Marie exactly and so it's been a great set of conversations one of the things that we've been able to do over the years here on Living Stones is kind of do a little bit of back and forth. We, you know, talk about contemporary things and then also take a little bit of a dive into some of the some of the great traditions of the church. And we thought that, um, you know, one of the very first um, connections that you and I ever made when it came to radio was you kindly inviting me onto uh, one of your one of the shows that you did uh, before uh, to talk about the um, fathers and doctors of the church because that's something that I've had a particular interest in uh, over the years. Just I, I love history, you know. I'd studied it in in college, and I really love the thought that what we do and pray and believe today is related to clearly the very earliest days of the church. You know, this is part of the apostolic tradition that we have. You know, we profess it every Sunday when we say, you know, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that tradition is handed on to us from the apostles and from their successors down through the ages. And so we thought it might be a great time for us to maybe kind of take a step back and and look at some of the earliest teachers of the church as a way to introduce people to um, the great riches of our tradition, as well as to um, kind of encourage in the faith. You know, this is a time in our in the modern age when we look and we say, is it really real? Is it true? And um, and how can I be sure that what the church is today is reflecting what Christ actually taught? And so we thought we would take some time to look at a couple of the earliest teachers. And um, we had the great, you know, Pope Benedict XVI, who in his weekly general audiences, uh, right after he became Pope, he kind of began to explore these as well. And one of the projects that I did was called fathersanddoctors.com. It's just a quick web address that takes you to a um, kind of a catalog of the uh, the teachings that Pope Benedict gave during his Wednesday general audiences uh, in St. Peter's Square and in, in the Paul VI um, audience hall uh, in starting in 2007. If you go to fathersanddoctors.com, you'll be able to read these brief introductions to each of the church fathers and then the great doctors of the church throughout the years, as well as holy men and women who have kind of continued to pass on the tradition. And they've been great theologians. They've been great mystics. Um, And so that kind of is the setting for what we're doing today. And we thought, let's begin with the very first of the of the church fathers. And over the next couple of weeks, kind of explore a couple of them and then then we'll do some other things. Then we'll come back to this and and continue kind of this ongoing series. So that's a little bit of background about what we're going to be doing starting tonight. Yeah, and uh, when we talk about, you talk about the different historical periods in the church, and the church kind of, we, we break history down into like seven different periods. So we have the apostolic period, which is right during and after the times of the apostles, actually the apostles before, and we're going to talk about two main players in that apostolic period. Then we have, so we have the apostolic fathers, the church fathers, mm-hmm. then we have the desert fathers, and then we have the 6th to the 12th century the 12th to the 16th century, 
the 16th to the 18th century, and then from the 18th century till today. Yeah. And those are often referred to as the seven periods of the church. And so we're going to talk about two of the uh, fathers, uh, church fathers. And th- those guys are important because you often hear in Catholic apologetics, uh, always referring to the church fathers. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters won't really look at these guys very much or because they're not in scripture. Yeah. You know, so they want to focus on what's in these guys are not in scripture, but, but these guys are important for us as Catholics because they show us clearly the apostolic tradition, those things that were passed on to them directly by the apostles themselves. Yes. And so, yeah, so tradition uh, includes scripture and those teachings and those institutions and the, the, the different um, constructs that the apostles set up to be passed down, to be handed down. Traditio means to hand down. They were handed down to those uh, great uh, church fathers and all the way down to us today, and we'll and we'll see as we go through uh, the the clear teaching and understanding of how the apostles understood what Christ passed on to them. Right. You know about how the church is going to be structured, what the church taught, for example, about the Eucharist and the sacraments, and so it's it's very illuminating. I think it'll, it'll be very very interesting because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have not really you know done a little deep dive into these into these uh, great teachers of the faith so i'm very excited about this yeah i am too and i think um the other interesting thing is that especially these two guys that we're going to talk about this week and next week clement of rome and ignatius of antioch these two guys actually were themselves in physical contact with the apostles, the living apostles. So Clement of Rome, uh, whose dates are somewhere around 35 uh, AD to 99, and Ignatius of Antioch, who was 50 to about 108, um, they were alive while apostles were still alive. And so they had interaction with. And so um, we'll begin kind of tonight talking a bit about about Clement of Rome. And uh, then next week we'll we'll um, talk about Ignatius. Um, So let's just kind of dive in, shall we? Well, the first thing just about Clement, um, he was a bishop of Rome, which means he was a successor of Peter, which means he was a pope. In fact, he was the third successor of Peter. So he had Peter. And when Peter was martyred, then you had Linus. Mm-hmm. Then after Linus, you had Anacletus. Mm-hmm. And after Anacletus, you had Clement. Yeah. You know, so Clement was the fourth pope. And, uh, you know, we don't have names like that anymore. You know, <laughs> Linus and Anacletus. Anacletus. You know, I always <laughs> joked, you know, that, uh, that that Linus, clearly he carried around a blanket, just like. Uh, <laughs> and then Cletus probably loved to go down to the to the chariot poles at the Colosseum. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we kid because we love um, these are. Yeah. So Linus, Cletus, Clement. Now, th- that's actually an interesting kind of um, a list right there. Those first three popes after St. Peter, we hear prayed uh, and we ask for their prayers in the first Eucharistic prayer of the mass. So in what's called the Roman canon, that is, an you know, an ancient prayer, the Eucharistic prayer, you will hear, we honor Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus. The list goes on, but those Linus, Cletus, Clement, we're talking about the popes who were immediately after um, Pope Peter, St. Peter, um, who were each one of them martyred. 
just like Clement was. They were killed out of hatred for the faith. Now, the reality is we don't have a lot of details, you know, like certain details about the life and martyrdom of St. Clement. We have ancient traditions that are told to us. Um, but if you're looking for something like a authoritative actual history, we know every fact here, you're not going to get that. What you're going to get is ancient traditions that have been handed down and that are attested to from very early in the church history, but um, they're not the same as, as a newspaper eyewitness report that we might think of. Um, one thing that's said about Clement is that he may have been the fellow laborer uh, mentioned by by St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. He talks about a Clement who was my fellow laborer in the in the vineyard of the Lord. Um, Origen talks about this later. Origen dies in 253, and he says that he identifies that Clement with the Clement mentioned in uh, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's not a certain identification, but again, that's 253. So it's it's in the first you know th- uh, 300 years of the church. He may have he may have been a freedman, uh, a former slave from the imperial household of the emperor Claudius, and we get that idea because he mentions in uh, a letter that he wrote he mentions that the letter was being carried by two fellows who we know were freed slaves of the emperor Claudius, and he and Clement mentions them as having labored long with him, and so we we mm. think that that's a sign that that uh, they were all three slaves who had been freed, um, and perhaps in the household of the emperor under an, a fellow named Clement uh, or Clemens, um, and so that then he would have taken that family name. We're not entirely certain, but there are kind of external signs that say that. And uh, St. Irenaeus was the Bishop of Lyon until 202 AD in his uh, writings against heresies. Mm -hmm. uh, He attests that Clement had seen the blessed apostles and had been conversant with them. And he might have said to been preaching, have heard the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears Mm -hmm. and their traditions before his eyes. Yeah. There you go, right there. Um, We celebrate Clement as his feast day is November 23rd, so it comes up every year. It's right around Thanksgiving time. We're going to, you'll have the opportunity to celebrate St. Clement. His martyrdom, he was, uh, ancient tradition relates uh, uh, how he converted 425 people uh, uh, who were members of the imperial household under the Emperor Trajan, and that did not please the Emperor Trajan, and so he banished. Uh, Clement to the Crimean Peninsula. So, of course, Crimea, which we hear about in the news every now and then, um, he was banished there. And uh, and the story says that he performed a miracle drawing water from a rock during a time of uh, uh, drought. Uh, and that miracle converted 2000 people. And, uh, oh, wow. and that, uh, uh, immediately they converted to the Christian faith and they built 75 churches. Well, this also did not please the emperor Trajan. And so the emperor uh, had Clement tied to an anchor and thrown into the Black Sea. Uh, but because, of course, uh, Clement was a holy man, every year the tide would recede two miles from the shore and would reveal a divinely built shrine that contained the martyr's bones, and the people would make pilgrimage. And this was um, a story that arises in the fourth century. We know that uh, Martin of Tours knew of this story by the sixth century. And so, 
uh, the legend of the bones of St. Clement, and they say that, that he was martyred around the year 99, that the bones of St. Clement were then dug up and retrieved dur- by St. Cyril. Uh, St. Cyril, mm. during his missionary journey to convert the Khazars in uh, uh, what we would think of as Kazakhstan now, um, on his way there, he dug up Clement's bones and an iron anchor uh, in the year 868 and brought the bones and the anchor back to Rome with him. So St. Cyril, the great missionary to the Slavic peoples, with his brother Methodius, of course, uh, they uh, are uh, wrapped up in the story of St. Clement as well in terms of bringing the martyr's bones back to his home see of Rome. So that's a little bit about about the martyrdom of St. Clement. Oh, beautiful. You know, I always always, uh, admired the saints who who gave their lives, who died, often brutal deaths, yeah. um, rather than deny their faith in Jesus Christ. You yeah. know, um, that's just uh, that's just pretty incredible. Um, well, so just a little bit about his writings. You know, St. Yeah. Clement was a pope, and um, during, the, uh, during his lifetime, uh, he wrote particularly to the church in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been sedition that had risen up uh, in the church, and we know that he wrote an epistle uh, that he used, um, that was read by a great many churches during that time in order to, you know, cause he was shepherding his church in troubled times. Right. You know, and that's what the, and that's what the Pope does. He helps shepherd the people and allay any fears to straighten out any confusion that might be going on in the church. And what was going on, um, this was during, uh, Domitian's persecution. So the letter actually was written after the emperor's death, because if he would have written it during the, the emperor, he probably would have, you know, uh, been killed early and may not be able to carry out his ministry as as uh, as holy father. So at the end of that persecution, he was writing to the church because he was prompted by there were serious issues in Corinth regarding the elders of, of the community. So the elders, the presbyters, the priests mm-hmm. who have been deposed by some kind of young upstarts. Yeah. And so we see early in the church corruption, power people trying to gain influence. And so they saw how influential these Christians were and how they were growing and spreading. Hey, I want some of that. Right. See, look at the power they're beginning to actually look at the influence they're starting to have. And then people then join the church for the wrong motives because they're looking at power and authority, not looking at that serving the church and being part of the body of Christ and building up the body of Christ. And so that was a problem, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, so look, we're, we're going through a difficult period right now in the church, a time of confusion. And, uh, and so this is nothing new. I mean, this is this has happened right from, right from the start. And this is something the Pope had to deal with and his letters were beautiful. Yeah. Um, and still as wonderful testimonies to the apostolic tradition, how the church understood herself, the Pope as a, not just as a, uh, a teaching doctrine, but as a pastor as well, right. you know, showing both sides of that beautiful heart that he had, you know, he exhorted the people to peace, uh, mm-hmm. renewing their faith and declaring the tradition, uh, which, which had been received from the apostle again, reaffirming the constant teaching of the church and not deviating from it to start something new. Yeah. You know, so, so everybody, well, that's just old. That's just, you know, we're way beyond that now. You guys are living in the medieval times. You know, that, that's just old way of thinking. You know, if if, if it's the truth, then the, the truth survives. It's you know, The truth survives. It's constant. It doesn't change. Right. Now, doctrine will develop. In, in other words, how we understand how that, tr- for example, back, back in the time of Clement, they didn't have uh, 
fetal stem cell research. Right, right. You know, they didn't have uh, IVF, in vitro fertilization. They have the. They didn't deal with some of the things that we're dealing with today. And so the church teaching, which is constant, has to say, okay, how do we understand what the church teaches in light of this, and in light of this, right. and in light of this, these new, like AI you were talking about, where you're, what you were right. discussing in Rome, you know, and, and uh, in fact, in a morning glory last month, the team talked about a story that I brought forward about AI technology and how one guy was turning AI into God. Like literally, wow. he was starting, he was, he was starting a church of AI. They had a, a Bible called the manual. And his idea is you follow this manual that, that the uh, computers become so smart that they would become gods wow. and that we would, we would have, our human beings would have allegiance to him. Why? Because they're smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Computers are smart. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. So the church needs to speak out. When these things crop up, the church needs to be there yep. to, to set the record straight. You know, and it's interesting because you kind of mentioned that is uh, kind of pointing to the sin of pride and, yes. and not just pride, but also jealousy and envy as well you know saying we've created this thing i've created this thing that's so good that it needs to be worshiped um and i want the power and you know because people look out from without the church and they they look in and they say well the church has power no it's it's a power born out of charity and service towards all in in imitation of the lord jesus you know who as we know in the letter to the Philippians, emptied himself of even godhood and became humble to the point of death, even death on a cross, as, as it says, you know, this is this was the core sin that that uh, Clement was writing to in uh, in Corinth. He was addressing the envy and the jealousy that it was at the core of this usurpation, you know, the, the overthrow of the legitimate authority in the church by these young upstarts. They were jealous of the power, what they perceived as the power of the the bishop and his presbyters and his deacons. And that is not what he wanted. Clement says, that's not what this is about. This is about charity and service towards all. Pope Benedict, you know, kind of reflecting on these, uh, on the themes of, of uh, St. Clement's letter to the Corinthians mentioned, you know, that uh, this very writing of the letter is itself the first um, exercise of the Roman primacy, meaning the the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, is writing to correct another church and is writing to encourage uh, the church, but to also correct abuses. And he's doing that because he has the authority of Saint Peter as the head of the apostle, uh, as the head of the apostles, and as head of the church on earth. And so this is a particularly in, important act by the by Pope Clement uh, to kind of establish and say, as you said, hold fast to these traditions which we received from the apostles. And he's telling them to hold fast to these traditions in the year 99. I mean, we're not. And he's saying these are well-established traditions already. Your bishop is in charge. Be in communion with one another and gather around together. Um, But then we need to respond in humility and we respond with virtue. Um, He counsels that they practice humility, which is the bond of peace among the brethren. Uh, And you'll notice when you read this letter, and we'll put a link on it on our website at livingstonesmedia.org, you'll notice that there are many quotations from the Old Testament in here. He quotes Genesis, Deuteronomy, Wisdom, Jonah, Job, Isaiah, Proverbs, Psalms. He's all over 
reflecting on how God's mercy has been shown throughout the ages. He has quotations from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels particularly, because remember, he's writing while John is still alive. (laughs) John the Apostle is still alive, and Clement is the one who is writing to the church in Corinth to provide guidance and exhortation. And he does actually quote um, a little bit from first Corinthians. Cause you remember he's writing to the church in Corinth, the same mm-hmm. church that had received two letters from St. Paul. And now right. he, why are they picking on us? <laughs> exactly. He keep writing us all these letters. Well, <laughs> look within thyself, my friend. Right. <laughs> well, one interesting thing too, is that he also wrote about uh, liturgical abuses that, and, and uh, was reminding the church that everyone has their functions. That's right. He said, you know, they're for his own peculiar services are assigned to the high priest. That's a bishop uh, with their own proper place is prescribed to the priests and their own special ministries devolve on the Levites, uh, uh, the, the deacons. Yeah, the deacons, yeah. He says the layman is bound by the laws that pertain to the layman. And what's interesting, this was the first time that the word lay, according to laity, uh, refi- re- has appeared for the first time in Christian literature. Wow. It comes from the Greek word laikos, uh, which is, means the people of God. Yeah. So he, so Clement is the first one to use the word laity in a, in a, a document of the church. Well, and he draws the, and he talks about the, the proper role of each person and saying that, you know, that this clear distinction, as, as Pope Benedict said, in no way signifies opposition, but only an yes. organic connection of the body, an organism with its different functions. Of course, we hear this echoed in the letters of St. Paul as well. Paul says, am I an eye? No. Am I a hand? No. You know, it's the body of Christ and everybody has their appropriate function. That's what Clement is is affirming here as well. This is an ad- one inter- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, we just one interesting thing uh, as we kind of get toward the end here. He he asked for prayers for the rulers and governors. Yeah, as well. Um, In both the time of ru- op- it, while they're still being persecuted. Yes. Yes. How, how amazing. And look, and look what's happening today. We're being persecuted by politicians. Right. And we need to do the same. So Clement's advice in the very beginning, first century church is still relevant and meaningful for us today. Yeah. These are, as, as Pope Benedict said, these are themes of perennial timeliness. You know, this is always current and we face these same things today. And this is such a great letter. It's, it's kind of long for a letter. Uh, we will put a link to it on our, on our website at livingstonesmedia.org. Um, and, but just remember, this is some of the earliest teachings of the church. You think of it really as the first encyclical by a Pope. You know, other than yeah, the letters of St. Peter. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's a great way to think about and it. And so yeah. uh, it's marvelous. But um, we're going to come back next week and we'll and we'll kind of pick up some of this theme of the idea of the church fathers, because we're going to the apostolic fathers, I should say, because we're going to pick up with uh, a, a, a contemporary uh, with Ignatius of Antioch. But until we gather next week, we uh, we invite you to visit our website, livingstonesmedia.org. Connect with us on Facebook. We are Living Stones. Or you can also on Twitter. Find us at Catholic Stones. Deacon, until we gather again next week together, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. 
For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.